Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every month to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 119. I'm officially on vacation for the next week, and it feels so good. There's going to be a lot of music, movies, and family time happening, along with some planning for 2024. Two of my main focuses during the time off will be taking time to breathe and catching up on sleep, which happens to be the topics of today's podcast. I've been wearing an aura ring for the past few months and noticed that while I'm getting over eight hours of sleep and consistently going to bed and waking up at the same time, my sleep quality has been lacking. And really, just one part of it my deep sleep. After doing some research, I found out that the average person needs one to two hours of deep sleep a night, but I usually get only between 15 to 30 minutes. And this was alarming, knowing that deep sleep is the stage where your body clears out toxins from your brain, strengthens your immune system, and promotes physical restoration. So I went on a mission to see if I could increase my deep sleep numbers. My wife and I had already made some positive changes by putting up blackout curtains and keeping the temperature in our room at 65 degrees. And so I started toying around with the different bed and wake-up times and tracking how I slept when I stopped eating and drinking after 8 p.m. But these things didn't seem to move the needle very much. And so it was time to bring in the big guns. And so I called up an old friend who I used to work with at U-District Physical Therapy, Ben Greenfield. Ben is now a New York Times bestselling author, health and fitness biohacker, and fellow podcaster who is extreme about practicing what he preaches. I don't know anyone who pursues mental, physical, and spiritual health more passionately than Ben. His book, Boundless, is a health encyclopedia that combines timeless wisdom with up-to-date science, and then he wraps it all up in a nice bow by giving simple, actionable solutions for the reader to implement. And today, I chose just two chapters in his book to focus on that don't require any complicated technology or expensive supplementation to improve upon. Everyone listening to this podcast breathes and sleeps every day. And with Ben's help, we can optimize the way we do it. Here's Ben Greenfield. Ben, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How you doing? What's up, dude? It's been a little while. I'm doing good. God is good. The sun is shining and it's the day after Thanksgiving, so a lot to be grateful for. And I'm just, I was telling you before we started recording, I'm in Moscow, Idaho right now, just going on a little walk here through a lovely little North Idaho town on the Palouse. Well, now, what's your connection to Idaho, Moscow? You have some history there, don't you? Oh, I was born in Lewiston, Idaho, and my parents actually homeschooled me there. So I was homeschooled K through 12 down in Lewiston. And then I played tennis at Lewis Clark State College and then transferred up to University of Idaho to study exercise science and biomechanics. A few years after that, you and I actually met because I moved to Spokane. And after a short stint working in hip and knee surgical sales, I met this sports medicine doctor named PZ Pierce. And he and I collaborated on this facility where I was operating the sports performance section doing, you know, indirect calorimetry and video analyses and training and nutrition consulting. And then in that same building, uh, you guys were downstairs, the U District Physical Therapy. And so I, I got to see you quite a bit there. And But yeah, it all, all started at University of Idaho, where I kind of caught the exercise science bug. Oh, it was so fun to be able to work with you back in the day, because even then, you were one of the most inspired and disciplined people I've ever met. And I'd love to hear, <laughs> what were you like as a kid? Were you What were you inspired about back then? And what was your self-discipline like back then? Yeah, you're right. When, when when you and I were in the same facility, you know, I was crazy. I was an Ironman triathlete. And so I was just like dedicated, you know, now I've become sane and a little less infatuated with swimming and biking and running. But, you know, I, I didn't really grow up interested much at all in, you know, the human blueprint or biology or, you know, physical culture or anything like that. You know, I, I played a little bit of sports, you know, I played t-ball and baseball and a little bit of soccer, a little bit of basketball, you know, probably by the nature of being homeschooled. I was a nerd, you know, I played violin and I was president of the chess club and mostly spent a lot of time in my room reading and writing fantasy fiction. I've always been very autodidactic. So I didn't really even have many 
teachers. My parents would just like give me books and tell me what to learn. And I'd learn it, usually be done with school by like 11 a.m. And at that point, yeah, I was either in the library, just like reading books or hiking around the hills behind our house. And I got hooked up with a sport of tennis when I was 14. My parents, they really liked to have like a cool home. I think it's a great parenting tip, like make your your home, your backyard, all the elements that you might expose your children to really fun so that they're less likely to spend a lot of time on screens and video games and whatnot. And so my parents, you know, they built us a little pool and my dad and I worked together and we built a tennis court and we had a basketball court and all sorts of fun things. I've done the same for my sons now that we live in Spokane. We have like an obstacle course in our backyard and we have a little driveway pickleball court. And, you know, there's lots of fun things to do, lots of yard games and outdoor activities. You know, tonight we're going to go go up to these tree stands we built on the property and go hunting for deer. And so I just think it's a really great idea. But the tennis thing, you know, my parents uh, even had this tennis instructor named Michelle come up to the house and teach me and my two brothers tennis. And I don't know, maybe it was because I had a little crush on Michelle and I thought she was pretty hot, but I, I really wanted to get good at tennis. And so I wound up getting so into tennis that I convinced my dad to take me down to you know Gart Sports and buy a couple of 10-pound dumbbells so I could get my arms stronger, even though I had no clue what to do with them. You don't get a lot of PE in homeschool. I started to run up and down the hills behind the house and started to study up on nutrition and macronutrient ratios and supplements. And, you know, eventually got just so hyped up on tennis that I then connected with a couple of family friends, the Washington State powerlifting champ and my brother's best friend's dad was a bodybuilder. And those guys taught me how to lift weights. So I built a gym at the house, you know, just like every time I make a little bit of money, I started a little tennis coaching business and I'd save up little bits here and there. And so I built a gym in my house, started lifting weights and eventually started chatting with some advisors about maybe going into athletic training or physical therapy or exercise science and actually wound up doing that. So I enrolled at Lewis Clark State College and got onto the tennis team there. And then when I transferred up to University of Idaho, I was actually very interested in medicine. So I took all the pre-meds and the MCATs and wound up getting accepted actually to a handful of medical schools. I didn't get accepted to a couple of the programs I wanted, a couple of MD, PhD programs. So I then got a master's and went to work in the private sector in hip and knee surgical sales. And it was at that point where I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. I was pretty disillusioned with medicine and installing you know, overpriced hip and knee implants into patients that would have been better served through preventive medicine and physical therapy. And you know, none of the doctors seemed to like their jobs. All of them told me it'd be crazy to go to medical school. So I was at the Liberty Lake Athletic Club where I trained. I walked in there and slapped my resume down on the table. And at that point, I had a you know National Strength Conditioning Association, CSCS and CPT and a CISSN, you know, sports nutrition certification. I'd been training down to Idaho when I was going to school and ran the wellness program there at the University of Idaho Rec Center. So I looked good on paper and they hired me to be manager of the gym. And you know, I got into the fitness industry and just kind of never looked back. You know, when my sons were born 15 years ago, I have twin sons, I decided I didn't want to be in a gym all day. You know, you saw me, I would, I would ride my bike down from Liberty Lake to U District Physical Therapy and Champion Sports Medicine. I'd be there all day. I'd ride home, but I kind of want to be home with my kids and homeschool them. And so once my kids were born, I started doing online coaching, writing books. I started a podcast and kind of did a little bit of lifestyle reinvention to be able to stay at home dad. That's largely what I do now. You know, I do a little bit of speaking and traveling. I do some investing in health and fitness companies. I do some online coaching, I do some writing. I own a supplements company, just a little bit here and there, but that's what brought me to where I am now, I guess. I wanted to focus on today was your book writing. You wrote a book called Boundless and it's probably my favorite health and wellness book that I've ever read. If you have not read Boundless, press pause on the podcast, go purchase it right now because whether you're just getting started on your health journey or you're an extreme biohacker like you are, there are just useful accessible tips that you can use right away. And one of my favorite chapters was breath work and beyond. Why is breath work so important? What are the benefits of practicing it? And maybe some of the side effects of not doing it well. I have this theory that every child as a core part of their curriculum should be taught stress management techniques, relaxation technique, techniques, excitatory techniques, and ways to really develop a relationship with their nervous system and how to adjust it, I suppose you could say. And based on that, I've been coaching my own sons in breathwork since they were about six years old. I think it's one of the best free tools built into a human being to turn up or turn down the nervous system. You know, we know that, for example, long exhales will cause the vagus nerve to interact with the pacemaker cells of the heart in such a manner that that will slow the heart rate and cause relaxation. You know, in a similar manner, something like a Wim Hof breathwork is 
incredibly stimulating to the immune system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And so that'd be an example of excitatory breath work. It's interesting because there's, you know, if you look at something like, I don't know, another popular thing that people are doing now, cryotherapy or cold thermogenesis, there's so many benefits to it, you know, from conversion of metabolically inactive white fat to brown adipose tissue to toning of that same vagus nerve I was talking about earlier to cellular resilience, to blood pressure, to blood sugar control to a hormonal response that causes this feel-good endorphin release in the body. You know, when you look at breath work, it's very similar. Probably one of the reasons a lot of times people will pair it with cold or heat. Excitatory breath work, what you might call breath of fire or pranayama, can be used preparing for sports as a warm-up to hyperoxygenate tissues and also cause a little bit of carbon dioxide retention that allows for a better shifting of oxygen into muscle. In a similar manner, you could look at something like box breathing or four, seven, eight breathing, right? Box breathing is four count in, four count hold, four count out, four count hold. I was doing it last night to get to sleep. Four, seven, eight breathing is very similar. It's four in, seven count hold, eight out. And those are really good ways to relax either prior to an event for which your anxiety curve is just a little bit past that point of ideal anxiety or, you know, before a a workout or sometimes even before something like a a cold plunge, you know, or or something like that, where you want to kind of vasodilate the vasculature to the muscles and cause like a warming effect. So when you look at a lot of the popular methods of breath work now, there are even people using it to reach heightened, I suppose you'd call them like psychological states, similar to what someone would seek through a drug like, or I suppose you call it plant medicine, like psilocybin or LSD, similar merging of the left and right hemispheres of the brain, increased blood flow to the brain, sometimes higher release of DMT from the pineal gland, and almost this shifting into a state in which you might have a different pattern of thinking or kind of like a breakthrough that you might not achieve in a normal physiological state, but without any of the neurochemical blowback of doing drugs. So a lot of people do, you know, like 60, 90 minutes of breath work. And I do this once a month and then just like sit with the journal for a little while while you're in this really, you know, far, far different state than you're at at normal rest. So a ton of different directions we could go there, man. But the general idea is that it is a free built-in tool in every one of us that allows for a host of different effects from relaxation to excitation to mental breakthroughs for business or personal life. So there's a lot there. Well, let's start with a book called Breath. I know you had James Nestor on the podcast, and I read this and it inspired me to tape my mouth shut while sleeping. And the funny thing was, I didn't tell my wife, Rhiannon, I was going to do it because I wasn't sure if I was going to like it or even be able to do it. I didn't have the right tape. So I waited till she turned the lights off and I had some duct tape and I taped my mouth completely shut. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she she, uh, she randomly said, I love you. And I, I had my mouth taped shut. So I kind of mumbled. And then she said it louder. I love you, Mike. And I didn't say anything. And she turns the light on, look at me and she sees my mouth taped shut with the duct tape. <laughs> but I've been doing it and I love it. And so I would love to have you talk a little bit about why you would tape your mouth shut what are the benefits and, you know, is this appropriate for younger athletes? I hope you don't still use duct tape, Mike. There's better <laughs> solutions that are far more painless to remove than duct tape. And yeah, it's interesting. You know, the background on that is, yeah, I interviewed uh, James Nestor. He's got a great book called Breathe. I think James's book, Breathe, Patrick McCown's book. I don't recall the name of it, but he has a really great book. You could probably hunt down and link to in your show notes or whatever. That's really good. And then there's another book called Jaws also that kind of goes into some of the reasons people would mouth tape, which I'll get into briefly. When I interviewed James, it was very interesting. You know, he talked about mouth taping and how much it can help with sleep apnea, which is a common issue that a lot of people deal with and don't even know about, like hypooxygenation or dips in oxygen during sleep that cause a real significant disruption in sleep patterns and people who do it. And a lot of people just subconsciously do it. But you normally have to get what's called a, oh, just basically like a home sleep test, a plesmiography test to analyze that. But now there's wearables like you know, the Aura Ring, for example, that will monitor your oxygen during the night. Or you can go to Amazon and buy one of those fingertip pulse oximeters that will stay on during the night. And then in the morning, you can see what your oxygen values were at. And if they were dipping during the night, a lot of people find that their oxygen levels are dipping. And then they'll do something like mouth taping or sometimes get like one of those dental mouth guards that are custom that allow for an opening of the airways during sleep, or they will adjust their pillow or sometimes all of those and have a real breakthrough in sleep quality. And so 
When I talked with James, I found that fascinating. Probably the other most fascinating thing I found from James, by the way, quick rabbit hole, was the concept of a lot of Olympians these days taking a free diving course and learning how to control their breath and do both carbon dioxide retention and oxygen retention for increased breath hold times. And then doing free diving, not only because of the advantage in teaching the tissues how to become better oxygenated and increasing lung capacity, but also because when you free dive, once you get below about 20 feet or so, your spleen gets compressed by the hydrostatic pressure of the water. And when your spleen gets compressed, it causes a release of erythropoietin, which you might recognize you know, by the name or by the abbreviation EPO. And that's like the, the illegal performance enhancing drug that you know, Tour de France cyclists and endurance athletes will sometimes dope with. But you can get it if you learn how to hold your breath how to equalize properly and how to dive to depths like in a pool or ocean or lake or river. And so after I interviewed James, I actually went and flew to Florida, took a free diving course for five days, learned how to do all the breath hold and free diving. Then I went and took a spear fishing course and bought a spear gun. And now it's one of my most amazing hobbies ever is a couple of times a year going spear fishing in some tropical locale and simultaneously getting all the benefits of free diving, which is actually the highest calorie burning sport known to man because of the breath hold, the cold, the activity and the shivering response. So it's a fascinating sport. But of course, besides free diving and spearfishing, the other thing that probably most intrigued me when I interviewed James was that, that concept of mouth taping. So kind of like you, Mike, even though I didn't go the duct tape route, I started off with this stuff called SomniFix, which is a mouth tape that's specifically designed for taping the mouth and not having it stick to facial hair or your lips in the morning. And SomniFix also can help you not to sound like Kenny from South Park when you talk to your wife at night, you know, with the... So you can, you can open up your mouth a little bit and talk. My wife and I love to pray at night, so that's important for me is that I've got something that allows me to talk a little bit because that's the best tip, best relationship tip I can give you is if you can pray with your spouse every night. It just keeps you really close together spiritually and emotionally. And every night before I head hits the pillow for years and years, my wife and I have been married for 21 years. We pray together every night. So you got to have the right mouth tape. You're going to pray with your wife at night. But anyways, I started mouth taping and found a profound increase in sleep quality. I also began focusing very similarly on nasal breathing during the day. Patrick McCown, that guy I mentioned earlier, talks about how much nasal breathing during exercise, during emails, during computer work, during sports, during performance can actually assist with lowering the sympathetic nervous system response, causing the body to become more efficient at using oxygen, and also increasing nitric oxide, which is that gas that kind of acts Viagra for the whole body in terms of vasodilating everything. And so I got interested in some of these devices that kind of train you how to breathe through your nose during the day, in addition to the mouth taping at night. So there are devices out there. I have an article on my website, by the way, the top breath training devices that exist as far as things you can use at the gym, things you can use during the day, things you can use during a walk. But there are devices like the relaxator, which kind of looks like a whistle and you put it in your mouth when you're on a walk and it forces you to breathe through your nose because you only breathe out through your mouth, not in through your mouth when you're wearing it. And it teaches you how to breathe through your nose and how to exhale through relaxed pursed lips against resistance. So you get diaphragmatic strengthening and inspiratory and expiratory muscle strengthening. There are other devices like one called the NEMSTAR, which you can wear when you're say like on the bike at the gym and it has resisted airflow through this mouthpiece that does a similar thing while you're working out at the gym. You've, of course, probably seen some of the early versions of like, you know, that device that was super popular for a while. It makes you look like Bane from Batman, the, the training mask that kind of doesn't really simulate elevation. They actually had to change the name of it because it was false advertising. You're not simulating elevation with it. There's no drop in oxygen or, you know, or, or increase in altitude, but you are creating a space of carbon dioxide in front of your mouth when you wear that thing during exercise while also making it harder to breathe. So again, you're training your inspiratory and expiratory muscles and you're making yourself more resistant to carbon dioxide, which as James Nestor talks about in his book, is something now used even in psychiatry for managing anxiety is they'll have people actually do rebreathing through carbon dioxide devices, like one called the Carbogen. Very simple example of this, even though you need to be careful, is just like breathing in and out through a paper bag. You know, we sometimes vilify carbon dioxide as being this like acidic gaseous molecule, but it's actually fantastic when you gain tolerance to it at helping you to manage stress, which is another reason why breathwork is so useful for stress management. The long story short is the mouth taping is fantastic for 
enhancing sleep and sleep apnea. And you can use the same strategy or idea behind mouth taping and use other devices during a workout or during performance to achieve a similar effect during the day. What about people that have obstructed nasal breathing, whether there's just a narrow palate or allergies or, you know, just maybe something wrong with their structure? Should there nasal strips or there's, is it just working on it will build up the muscles to be able to do it more efficiently? Yeah. If you watch the Tour de France, I think it was three or four years ago, I believe it was Chris Froome had this little plastic device he kind of sticking out of his nose that he would use during particularly his time trials. It was called a, I think that one was called a turbine and it goes in your nose and it kind of opens up the nasal passages, which for somebody like you mentioned, who's got poor airway or, you know, obstructed airway can be helpful if you can't mouth tape, but it doesn't fix the underlying issue, which that book Jaws that I mentioned earlier goes into in great detail, which is that we now live in a society where children in particular, babies and children, they don't breastfeed as much to strengthen the jaws and some of the breathing musculature, but they also tend to eat foods that are more processed or ultra processed, soft, gooey, chewy foods. As we become adults, we also tend to have access to hyper palatable foods that are easy to chew. And so we continue this pattern of not getting adequate jaw strengthening and we get inadequate or imbalanced structure of the jaw muscles. And that can cause a lot of those sleep apnea issues. Now, when you pair that with a lot of the work done by a foundation for nutrition called the Weston A. Price Foundation, which has shown that a lot of kids in westernized societies and adults too, they have much lower intake of the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and most notably K. And those are responsible for assisting with proper teeth formation and bone formation from childhood onwards. Those are found in a lot of like fermented dairy, grass-fed, grass-finished butter, organ meats, cold water fish, a lot of the things that we don't eat as much these days. And so when you pair high intake of ultra-processed foods, low frequency of breastfeeding, and the lack of the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, you create a scenario where the average human adult in a westernized society winds up being more prone to mouth breathe, winds up being more prone to having nasal and airway obstruction issues, winds up being more prone to have sleep apnea. And so as you can imagine, it sounds horrific, but it's not as though you're screwed. So for example, of course, you can switch to a diet that's high in a lot of those fat-soluble vitamins. For example, you could Google Weston A. Price Dietary Guidelines and get a free one-pager that kind of shows you the foods to prioritize, you know, such as shellfish, fermented dairy, butter, ghee, you know, a lot of the organ meats and foods rich in fat that we sometimes tend to be phobic in or unaccustomed to these days. But then if you really want to fix things, it's ideal to work with what's called a biological or a holistic dentist. For example, my dentist, I have a good dentist in Spokane, Craig Simmons, who's a, like a holistic dentist. who uses all natural cleaning materials when I go in for my teeth cleaning. But he doesn't do some of the more advanced work that involves typically like a cone scan or a, or a scan of the mouth, some x-rays of the cervical spine on up. And then the development, and this is what, what a good dentist will do, of a customized mouth guard that you can wear either during the day or during the night or both that gradually reshapes the mouth, typically over the course of about 12 to 16 months, reshapes the jaw and the bite to get rid of a lot of those issues. There's a gal in Phoenix who I now work with, Dr. Aniko Loud. And I wound up after interviewing her on my podcast, flying down to Phoenix, along with my wife, to get our mouth and jaw looked at because I was so interested in this. And this was like a year and a half ago. I wound up getting a customized mouth guard from her, as did my wife. And I actually don't even mouth tape anymore because that thing has pretty much made me 100% nasal breather during the night. I get much better sleep. And it's kind of reshaped my jaw because I, you know, like a lot of American kids, I grew up eating a lot of soft food and, you know, not learning how to chew my food should be 25 to 40 times. I didn't get a lot of those fat soluble vitamins. So those are a few things that you can do about it. That's got to be so fun for you now to be a father of twin boys and to be able to take all this stuff you're learning and be able to kind of influence their life. Are they mouth breathers at night? Are they taping their mouth shut or do they, because of the solid foods they've eaten, or is their jaw more aligned to be able to not have to do stuff like that? Yeah, they've got good bites. They've got good jaws, no issues at the dentist, no issues with mouth breathing or sleep apnea. And I mean, dude, they grew up on like 
sardines and avocados and grass-fed butter and liver and fermented dairy and you know, we got goats and chickens which i realize not everybody has access to goats and chickens but but they've lived kind of a very natural upbringing as far as the nutrition that they get and then i think it's also helped them out a lot to have been doing breath work with dad a few times a week you know it's, it's kind of a nice father-son time typically in the evening before dinner like around 6 p.m we'll just go down to the sauna we have a sauna in our basement and we fire that thing up and we'll sit and do 15 up to 30 minutes of breath work, usually using an app. Like there's one app called Othership that we like. There's another one called The Breath Source. And we'll do a session and then we all go jump in the cold pool together and go in for dinner. And I think that's been really helpful for them as well, just to learn how to breathe properly, how to be aware of their style of breathing. And that awareness is really important, Mike. You talked about sleep apnea. And another issue that a lot of people do but are unaware of is email apnea, holding your breath while you're on the computer or working or doing emails. I even still find myself doing that sometimes and need to check myself. But it helps to do breath work because you just become more aware overall of your breath and how you're engaged with your breath during the average day. For those athletes that are looking for breath work to get them going before a big race, a game, a presentation, what are some of the exercises that you might do and what would be a protocol? How early would you start that before the event? I'd start with something pretty simple that's very accessible and familiar to a lot of people already. And that'd be something like Wim Hof or Pranayama or Breath of Fire, as it might be called, where, and you'd want to do this sitting because it could make you kind of dizzy, but you find a, a good spot and you sit down and do a deep breath in and let go and in and let go and in and let go. And you do that for about 30 to 40 times. And then at the very end of that final breath, you take a deep breath in, up, 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 all the way up to the top of your head, hold it for a brief count and then exhale everything and hold that exhale as long as possible and take a few recovery breaths and do that same cycle two to three additional times. And you'll just feel hyper oxygenated. And in this combination of an oxygenated and relaxed state afterwards, relaxed, but not relaxed, sleepy, like relaxed, focus, drop in anxiety. So that would be one really good example. Another good example would be that app I mentioned, Othership. They've got anywhere from two up to 90 minute sessions on there. And they have a whole section that's specifically devoted to like pre-workout or amping up performance or sympathetic nervous system activation. And I like that one because it's got like DJs, voices, good music. And sometimes it's nice to just have somebody in your earbuds or your earphones, your headphones, just walking you through the proper protocol. So I really like that app, uh, the one called Othership. There's one other guy who's really good. I like as a breathwork instructor, his style of breathwork is called Soma. And he's got a hard to pronounce or spell name, but his name is Niraj Naik, N-I-R-A-J-N-A-I-K. And you can find some really great free sessions that you can download on his YouTube channel. His are sometimes a little bit longer. He's a former DJ, so some of his tracks are just really, really mood boosting and motivating. And so I really like him as a breathwork instructor, too, if you wanted a few kind of done-for-you sessions. What about on the flip side for uh, putting your body more in a parasympathetic state? You mentioned box breathing. What would be some of the techniques that you would use in the evening or after a stressful scenario where you wanted to be able to calm down? Yeah, the simple approach, like you just alluded to, is the box breathing, either a four count in, four hold, four out, full hold, four hold. It's called box breathing because you're kind of like visualizing breathing up a side of a box, holding across the top, breathing out down the other side of the box, then holding on the bottom of the box. And some people will go like five, five, six, six. Some advanced yogi practitioners do like 20, 20, like super long boxes. Another one would be the four, seven, eight, like I mentioned earlier, four count in, seven count hold, eight count out, with the key there being when you're exhaling for a longer period of time than you inhale, it really does activate the parasympathetic nervous system and helps to relax you. Those two are really good. And then if you want to get more advanced, you briefly mentioned biohacking at the beginning of the episode. And there are indeed like biohacking technologies that can really amplify that relaxation experience by combining breathwork cues with either neurofeedback or light or sound stimulation or all three. So a couple examples of that would be there's one device called a brain tap. I love this thing. I'm not very hypnotizable, but this thing will just bring me to another planet within like two minutes. It's got sessions on there that are like five minutes up to an hour in duration. And even though there's like 800 different light sound stimulation sessions that you can choose from in the app, there's about 30 that are all just breath work, but it's breath work tied to light and sound to really shift you into your desired state even more dramatically. 
when paired with breathwork. And then there's a brand new device. It's crazy because normally you'd pay like a few thousand bucks to go to a neurofeedback institute to be able to train your brain to go into brain waves that you might desire, like say like less beta stressful brain waves, more alpha focused brain waves, or to shift more easily into the delta or theta type of brain waves that someone would have to practice meditating for years and years to achieve. Well, neurofeedback accelerates that process. And up until this year, I would say most of the time, good neurofeedback, you have to go to a neurofeedback clinic to do. It involves wearing like a headset with electrodes on the headset. And then you're typically looking at a screen with your eyes open, or sometimes you're responding to sounds with your eyes closed. And the neurofeedback device detects your brain waves and then adjusts the stimulation to give you sound or visual rewards, such as you know, flying a spaceship and the spaceship starts to slow down when your brain goes into beta brainwave or playing some really relaxing sounds, but the sounds become a little bit more annoying when you go into, let's say, you're trying to downregulate, I don't know, too much theta brainwave, it'll adjust that. And so there's this new device called a Sensei, S-E-N-S dot A-I, and it's got all sorts of different sessions on it that kind of shift you into the proper breathing patterns and brainwave patterns that can really be a game changer as well. So, you know, you've got simple things like box breathing and 478 breathing all the way up to more advanced technologies like the brain tap or the Sensei. You know, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Thich Nhat Hanh, and he's like a Buddhist Zen master. And he teaches mindfulness. Where does something like that fit in, which is just paying attention to your breath, whether that's counting in, counting out, just following it? How does that fit into any of these structures? It's fantastic because when you're actually paying attention to the breath, the sensation of the breath, the cooling sensation against your nostrils or your lips, the visualization of say like your lungs expanding or even oxygen gas molecules going from the capillaries into the muscle tissue, et cetera. It causes a very steep increase in what's called heart rate variability. Now, heart rate variability is something I first became aware of back in my performance days when it turned out that actually it's European soccer, where they were, they were some of the first to adopt HRV for, for, for performance. Kind of funny when you look at like European soccer, cycling, horse racing. There's a few sports where it seems like technologies get early adaptation and then gradually make their way into the rest of the sporting of the fitness industry. But heart rate variability, unlike heart rate, is the delta, the amount of time in between each of your heartbeats. And what you want is a mild beat-to-beat variation as far as how long a period of time there is in between heartbeats. So if you were to use like a whoop or an aura or a heart rate strap to measure your heart rate variability, a low HRV, heart rate variability, would be like your heart beats and then there's a millisecond. Then your heart beats again, then there's a millisecond. Then your heart beats again, there's a millisecond. That indicates actually poor control of your nervous system by the vagus nerve because the vagus nerve, the way it innervates the pacemaker cells of your heart is that it should adjust just a little bit, like micro adjustments, and that displays that you have good nervous system control. So ideally, it'd be like your heart beats and there's 1.1 milliseconds, then your heart beats and there's 0.8 milliseconds, and your heart beats and there's 0.95 milliseconds. That would be a high heart rate variability. And when you're doing mindfulness meditation or mindful breathing, you see a really nice increase of HRV and a training of the ability to be able to maintain a high HRV. And that's important because one of the reasons that For example, let's say like soccer would track HRV is if you see a drop in HRV that occurs for two to three days in an athlete, it's a very good predictor of potential overreaching, overtraining, or the risk of an injury or illness coming on. And it can sometimes predict that prior to a trainer or a coach, knowing based on say like muscle soreness or performance that that athlete is on a nervous system decline. So I really like HRV for keeping track of an athlete's readiness or their ability to be able to train hard. But it's also fantastic just for anybody for maintaining good nervous system resilience. And that mindfulness meditation or mindful breathwork you talked about is a really great way to do that. I should name that there are some people who don't respond well to meditation or even mindfulness-based meditation. People have had trauma that's not processed, PTSD, Etc. As a matter of fact, Tim Ferriss, I believe just this week that we're talking, just did an episode on the dangers of meditation. If you don't go about it properly, if you don't really know how to process emotions or thoughts or feelings that might come up, I think it's important just to know that if you're somebody who has experienced trauma in the past, sometimes meditation can really bring that up. And 
you know, there's another podcaster in the space, Andrew Huberman, who is really into this process of journaling to process trauma, which I think is, is great. It's where you're writing down, you know, for about four days in a row or sometimes up to four weeks in a row, different things that you've had to deal with in the past and kind of processing those in writing. And that's all based on a concept that you could look up. It's fascinating. It's called German New Medicine. It's this idea that traumatic events that occur during a lifetime wind up creating these pathways in the brain that result in increased susceptibility to chronic disease, to illness, to issues such as you know cancer or Alzheimer's. And so it's something to be aware of, kind of a rabbit hole there. But I guess some people who hear mindfulness meditation, just the bee's knees should know that there are some people who've had trauma who don't do that well with it. I think that was my favorite part of your book is you went down so many different rabbit holes, give so many different examples of breathing, how to use it, benefits, myths of breathing. But then you finish every chapter giving one or two things that people can implement immediately to improve their life. So maybe to wrap up on the breathing part, do you have one or two suggestions that our athletes or our listeners can do today? to improve the way they perform or their health? Yeah, I would say just to get real practical with you, a few of the things we already talked about. Try mouth taping. Like get some of that mouth tape like Somnifix. Another good brand. It's got a funny name. But it's called Hostage Tape. And it's like a little bit more bulky tape, but unlike duct tape, it comes off without, you know, causing you to scream like a banshee in the morning. And so mouth tape would be one. So that's, I think, pretty accessible to a lot of people. Consider getting a breath training device that you could use while you walk, like the relaxator. Or something you could use while you're at the gym, like a training mask or a NEMSTAR. Or you could Google my name plus breath resistance devices and read an article that I wrote about this. And then finally, because there's the benefits of cold when you adopt this practice, along with the benefits of breath and nervous system resilience, is try to adopt the habit of taking a cold shower or getting into a cold pool or bath or lake or ocean or cold plunge or cryotherapy or whatever. But when you get in or when you're in the shower or whatever, try to just breathe relaxed in through your nose and either out through your nose or out through slightly pursed lips. So you're training yourself how to use breath to control stress while you're in a stressful event that really is also good for you in a lot of other ways. So I would say, you know, mouth taping, some type of breath device you could use during workouts or during the day, such as walking, and then try some type of cold exposure paired with relaxing breath work. I love it. The other thing I was hoping to pick your brain on today was the chapter on sleep. And so for all those basketball players listening out there, why should they take the time and energy to dial in a sleep routine? Well, sleep is arguably, you know, around the one third of your life or so during which nervous system repair and recovery occurs, during which glymphatic drainage or draining of, of toxins and metabolites from primarily the nervous system, like cerebrospinal fluid and the brain occurs. And then finally, it's also the time of your life when a lot of emotional processing and memory consolidation and the like takes place, which is one reason we dream when we sleep. So a lot of people, oh, you just sleep and your muscles repair and recover, but your muscles do some repair and recover during the day. It's more your nervous system repairs, your emotional and memory processing takes place and you detox from, you know, particularly the central nervous system. So those are some really good reasons to do it. You know, I think a lot of people are aware of some of the basic elements of sleep, what's called sleep hygiene. It's just a matter of application. I like to focus on four things primarily. One is light, right? Light is what's called a zeitgeber or a timekeeper, meaning it's one of the body's most powerful cues to cause wake drive or sleep drive. So your sleeping habits start in the morning, meaning at some point within an hour after waking, you should get exposed to as much bright light as possible. It could be sunlight. It could be overhead light. It could be the backlit screen of a phone or a computer monitor. It could be one of those blue light boxes that they make for seasonal effective disorder. But you want to get exposed to a lot of bright light early in the day. Now, it's important to note that sunlight has all the spectrums of light. It's got infrared, near-infrared, red light, etc. If you move indoors, a lot of these bright overhead fluorescent lights that can induce wakefulness, the problem is they don't contain a lot of spectrum of the red or the infrared or the near-infrared light spectrum. So, if you're not getting out in the sun because your job or your indoor situation doesn't allow you to, I actually recommend like in your office, your gym, your home, or wherever you're getting a lot of light to jumpstart your circadian rhythm to use light that has this full spectrum closer to sunlight. And that would be halogen or incandescent lighting. Or there's another form of lighting called OLED. And if you can't do that, whatever you're renting you're at a gym and you know, your gym doesn't have the ability to do that, 
using some type of red light therapy, like infrared light panels, infrared sauna, you know, red light, near infrared devices to get red light along with the blue light is a really good way to ensure that you don't get some of the deleterious effects of isolated blue light, which can cause like retinal flicker and, you know, brain fog and myopia and different things like that. If you're just constantly getting exposed to bright light that isn't sunlight. So takeaway message here is bright light during the day. And if it's indoor bright light, use more natural forms of light like halogen or incandescent or OLED and or use red light therapy regularly. And red light therapy is great too because it's good for recovery and for you know collagen, elastin, skin health, and joints. And so that would be one thing. And then in the evening, it's kind of the opposite, right? You limit your exposure to bluish green bright spectrums of light as much as possible. That would include investing in a good pair of blue light blocking glasses, even considering replacing the bulbs in your bedroom or your master bathroom or sleeping or relaxation spaces with red soft incandescent lighting or a more reddish orange version of like a halogen or an OLED light. So you're trying to to keep everything pretty red in the evenings, shifting all your screens to night mode. You can consider installing a piece of software. There's one called Iris that's really good on your computers that will automatically kind of decrease the temperature and the color and the brightness of the screen wherever you happen to be. Most phones now have pretty good night modes built into them. But it's a real, real awareness of a lot of really good natural full spectrum light during the day. And then whenever the sun sets, wherever you happen to be in the world, kind of removing or limiting exposure to that amount of light and getting more red light or light that would more be like a firelight. Now, the only exception to that, and this might be relevant to your audience, Mike, would be if you're traveling and crossing multiple time zones because you can use light in different ways then. Like, let's say you got an evening game and you're traveling West Coast to East Coast and you got a late game later than you might anticipate or a late workout well, then you can actually use light to shift the circadian rhythm forward, meaning get exposed to bright light at night so that you can shift your circadian rhythm forward if you're in an area where you're going to be going to bed later. You could also use it like if you've traveled back from East Coast to West Coast and because you like to wake at 6 a.m. and you were waking at 6 a.m. on the East Coast, now you're waking at like 3 a.m. on the West Coast. Well, what you can do is actually not expose yourself to bright light or sunlight or blue light, or monitors, or screens for a few hours after you get up. Like basically use blue light blocking glasses, use red lights to light your office or your gym, just limit your exposure to light as much as possible. And that will shift your circadian rhythm back to where it's supposed to be. So you can kind of use light as a really cool way to like time and move your circadian rhythm backwards or forwards as you desire. In addition to light, temperature is also really important, meaning cold sleeping environment. That could include sleeping with as little clothing as possible, keeping the ambient room temperature really low, avoiding spicy or heavy foods within about three hours before bedtime, avoiding hard, intense workouts within about three hours prior to bedtime, and back to biohacking technologies, even considering something like a chili pad, which will circulate cold water underneath your top sheet while you're asleep, or there's no one called the bed jet, which is like an air conditioner for your sleeping environment. There are mattresses like the Essentia mattress that kind of naturally cools the body during sleep. But being really aware of the cool nature of your sleeping environment is good. And if you have had a hard workout or you know, you're know you an athlete and your last practice ends at, I don't know, like eight and you, you got a 10 p.m. bedtime, just take a cold shower or something that will cool down the body. And that will really help with getting to sleep later on in the evening if you do have to eat or train closer to bedtime. Just cool off the body as much as you can afterwards. So you got the light and the temperature. And then the last two, I think, are most important, even though, as you know, Mike, there's like tons of different supplements and you know medications and you know breathing strategies and all sorts of stuff for sleep. I would say the most important two are sound, meaning... I really like the idea of playing ambient sounds in the bedroom while limiting exposure to outside sounds. So a quiet sleeping space, windows closed if you can, playing with an app like, say, Sleep Stream or Sleep Space that will play white noise or pink noise or some type of noise that covers up outside sounds. And when I travel from out of hotel or if I'm staying, I don't know, downtown San Francisco with a bunch of sirens or whatever, I'll even use these things called sleep phones which are kind of like soft wraparound headphones that you can use even if you're a side sleeper. And I have this app called New Calm, and it'll play eight to 10 hours of deep sleep sounds that does a really good job just covering up all ambient sounds. So I literally, when I'm traveling in a 
loud place, I will use wax earplugs and those wraparound headphones. And you just have this like cocoon, like quiet experience, which is just fantastic for sleep. And then the last thing would be stress. Your bedroom and particularly your bed should not be location that your body associates with stress or work. So that means, for example, the books that you choose to keep by your bedside or on your Kindle or whatever for evening reading should be fiction or something that doesn't involve your primary method of work or that doesn't involve you know, looking at training manuals or, you know, reviewing the next day's practice or anything like that. Like it should just all be really relaxing stuff that kind of allows you to turn off your brain a little bit. And there are even, you know, apps like that aura ring I mentioned earlier. It has even like boring stories that you can listen to to kind of like help you fall asleep. If you're more of an audible person than a visual person. The other thing that is a mistake a lot of people make is they'll have a television or a computer or even like a I used to check into hotels and I'd be that person who would just like toss my laptop in the bed and flop down on my stomach and work on the bed. So when I go to bed, my body would associate the bed with emails and with work. And so now I'm very careful to just like put my laptop over on the working desk in the hotel room and not allow myself to actually work while I'm in the bed. So you you just don't want to send your brain those subconscious signals that the bed is a place for anything besides sleep, you know, and arguably sex. And that would be about it. But no work and no stimulating work-like or stressful experiences in bed. So those are a few of the big things, Mike, would be light, temperature, sound, and then lack of stress for sleep hygiene. Well, my favorite thing about the book was you kind of had the big picture, the overview of the circadian rhythm and how your sleep's impacted by what you do from starting when you wake up. So I'd love to hear your personal morning routine and the daily activities that you think about that will help impact your sleep. Yeah. So I, even though I get exposed to bright light in the morning, I kind of like to ease my body into the day. So when I get up, I'm usually the first one up in the house, I'm usually up around 4.30 or 5. I actually keep most of the lights off. I have a cheapo little red light headlamp that I got on Amazon. And I wear that to get around the house in the morning for making coffee or for drinking my water or you know washing my face or whatever. And I even wear blue light blocking glasses. So when I open the refrigerator, I'm not getting those bright disruptive lights early in the morning. I just don't like that stressful light driven response early. So everything's kind of like real soft light in the morning. And then, you know, I have a big glass of water and move around a little bit, you know, do some foam rolling and shake up the body. And then I'll slip into my basement, do some Bible reading and some prayer. Then once I come out from that, that's when I'll start to light up everything. I'll flip on the lights in the office, you know, grab a cup of coffee and head into the office to work. But for my first 20 minutes in the office, I turn on the red light panels for the reasons that I described to you earlier, because I have that bright overhead office lighting and then I've got the red light going. So I'm kind of getting almost like this blast of bright morning sunrise-esque sun in my office in the morning. Because I up in Spokane, I kind of live on a north facing slope in the Spokane Valley. And I don't really have access. I can't like go outside and work in the sun a lot of mornings just because there's too many trees and it's kind of dark. So basically my office is kind of like, you know, my version of of the sunrise. And then, you know, another key habit that I do as part of my routine is I typically, just because I have kids and you know there's all sorts of activities at night, even though I get up like 4.30 or 5, you know, a lot of times I'm not in bed till 9.30 or 10. So that's obviously not that ideal you know, seven to nine hour sleep range. So because of that, I throw in a quick siesta after lunch most days. I just time my day so I have a shorter lunch and I don't arrange a lot of work right after lunch. So between about one and two is my relaxation time where I slip away. I put on like a meditation headset or do some breath work or take a nap or do something that lets me get a little break in the middle of the day which I think for people who have families or jobs that keep them up later, but who also want to get up earlier just to be able to have a real solid morning routine can be really useful. And even during lunch, you know, I'll often have a cup of bone broth or a big glass of water with lunch. And I'll put what are called adaptogens into that. Adaptogens are basically plant-based compounds that allow you to relax, but don't leave you groggy. You know, because if you take CBD or melatonin or something like that in the middle of the day, you get groggy. So an example of adaptogen would be like reishi mushroom extract or rhodiola or ashwagandha. And so those are really good if you need to relax in the middle of the day like I do. And then so I get up from that nap and you know and do, do a little movement, shake up the body, and then jump into the second part of the work day. And then as the evening arrives, I do a lot of stuff I talked to you about, you know, begin to dim the lights, put on blue light blocking glasses, you know, don't eat too close to bedtime. 
you know, make sure the house temperature is cold, open up the windows in the bedroom or turn the air conditioning on. But then I think the most important thing is a routine, similar to have a routine before you shoot a free throw or a routine before you serve a tennis ball or a routine before a match or a game. A pre-sleep routine is really good because it gives your body something dependable to rely upon that you can also use, for example, when you travel to shift you into the same relaxed state when you're traveling that you might have experienced at home. So, for example, my pre-sleep routine is I've got this little vibrating ankle band called an Apollo. I put that, it's got like a calm mode on it. So I put that on, it starts to vibrate. That's about a half hour before bed. So I'm kind of sending these subtle cues via my leg to kind of like shift the body into a relaxed state. It's a fascinating device, really cool, called an Apollo. And then I go into the bedroom and I put some essential oils on because I actually interviewed this fascinating guy named Dan Gartenberg about all the associations between different senses and sleep. And you can actually, by exposing yourself to certain scents at night, like lavender or rose or bergamot, kind of via your olfactory cues, shift the body into a relaxed state. So I always travel with a little bottle of lavender or some other relaxing scent. And I usually will like put a little bit on my neck or behind my ears to kind of get my body ready for sleep as far as like smelling something relaxing is concerned. And then typically after that, I'll get into bed. I pray with my wife and I'll sometimes do four, seven, eight breathing, four, four breathing, or I'll even use that brain tap or that sensei that I talked about. And then I'm out. So I've got like four or five things that I do that my body just knows I'm doing in preparation for sleep. So having that kind of sleep routine, that's pretty much the same you know, night in, night out as much as possible is pretty important. And then some people ask me about supplements. So before I go to sleep, I usually do a little bit of CBD, like around 100 milligrams or so of just a THC-free cannabis product. Because THC is bad for deep sleep. It suppresses your dream cycle so you don't get as much emotional and memory processing. And it causes what's called free radical leakage from mitochondria in the brain. So long-term, it can cause lack of blood flow to the brain and decrease oxygenation to the brain. So not a huge fan of THC besides if you need it for something like pain management or, you know, just occasionally there's, there's a few use cases like sex or something like that occasionally, but you want to be careful with that stuff. It's not great for the brain, like isolated CBD. And then I'll do some type of relaxing supplement. I, I don't want to sound like I'm promoting my own stuff too much, but I have a sleep product called Key on Sleep. So I usually do three capsules of that and a little bit of CBD. And then with that and the essential oils, I feel pretty good. And the only thing I add into that is when I travel, I do melatonin. I do like high dose melatonin for the first night or two when I've reached a new location, if I'm traveling across multiple time zones. And when I say melatonin, like I use a lot. I'm a huge fan of what I call like a melatonin sledgehammer to reset the circadian rhythm. Ever since I kind of discovered that tactic of doing more than the traditional like three to 10 milligrams of melatonin, and instead going with a high dose, I adjust way faster when I'm in a new time zone. So when I say high dose, it's usually 100 to 300 milligrams. Don't laugh, but I usually do it via a little sublingual tablet or via a suppository. I get it from this company called MitoZen. And because melatonin is also a fantastic anti-inflammatory and really good for sleep, it just works so well when you're traveling across multiple time zones to do this high dose melatonin trick. A lot of people feel groggy in the morning, but this is a fun fact for you, Mike. One of the reasons that light will keep you awake at night is because it suppresses your melatonin production and it causes melatonin to, to basically get detached from cells way more quickly. But if you've taken a lot of melatonin at night and you wake up and you're groggy, you can use that to your advantage. Like as soon as you get bright natural sunlight or bright light, that grogginess goes away super quickly because it just kind of flushes the melatonin from your system. So it's a little hack if you do go high-dose melatonin and you're traveling, for example. Just get as much bright light as you can in the morning, which you should be doing anyways, and it'll, it'll help with the grogginess. I love how you are a personal test dummy. The amount of science that you do on yourself is just second to none. You know, I've been using the, the Aura Ring to dial in my sleep routine. And I've been struggling getting deep sleep. You know, I've bed for eight to nine hours. All my other mm -hmm. metrics look really good except for my restfulness and my deep sleep. I've been averaging maybe 15 to maybe 30 minutes on a good night. Do you have any hacks or any ideas to specifically improve deep sleep? 
Well, the stuff I already talked about, the cold and the light are fantastic for that, by the way. So if you're, you know, if you don't have that dialed in, definitely do. A lot of people, either genetically or from a nutritional standpoint, don't make a lot of GABA when they sleep. Like the reason that alcohol causes you to get sleepy, like a glass of wine, is because it causes release of the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA, amino butyric acid. GABA. Problem is, once the alcohol kind of wears out of your system, the GABA kind of wanes off and you wake up at like 1 or 2 a.m. after you've had a few beers because you've dropped GABA. So GABA can really enhance deep sleep cycles. So let's say you've taken care of light and you've taken care of cold and some of those other tips that I gave, including the sound thing. By the way, the app that I use that I play those headphones with called New Calm, that 8 to 10 hour track that I play is actually specifically their deep sleep track. It's amazing for deep sleep. But let's say you've taken care of the light and the sound and the cold and the stress. You can try something that actually causes a release of GABA. Two examples of that would be the Keon Sleep is good for that. That has GABA precursors in it. There's also kind of a lot more powerful version of that if you need a little bit more of a sledgehammer. There's a company called Troscriptions, and they make this sublingual trochee called Trozy, like T-R-O-Z-Z-Z. And that one causes a huge release of GABA. And a lot of people find that when they get GABA into their system, either before they go to bed or if they wake up during the night to get back to sleep, it's a game changer for deep sleep. And of course, it should go without saying that alcohol before bed would kind of create the opposite effect. What about binaural beats? Would that be helpful? And what's the best way to use that kind of technology? That new calm thing that I talked about, it's very similar to binaural beats, meaning let's say you want to be in a relaxed delta two hertz frequency. You'd play like 400 hertz frequency in one ear and 398 in the other ear and the delta is two hertz and that's the brainwave state it would shift you into that's why binaural beats work and they can be helpful typically you have to play them through headphones not through just like sounds in the bedroom by your bedside or through a bluetooth speaker or whatever so new calm app can give you a binaural beat-esque effect the app that i briefly mentioned called Sleepstream also plays binaural beats but of course, you just have to make sure you've got comfortable headphones. So usually like, you know, those sleep phones I talked about, or I wouldn't do Bluetooth. I'm not a huge fan of Bluetooth. You know, some, some type of headphone with your phone in airplane mode that you play the binaural beats through can be really useful. And that brain tap device I talked about, by the way, does binaural beats as well. So if you haven't experimented with them and you're listening, they, they can actually shift the brainwave state pretty dramatically. Well, thank you so much. Sorry to use this time to get my personal information out there. <laughs> I'd love I'm, to find I'm, out. I'm sure I'm sure you help people other than you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Any other sleep hacks, information that will be useful and maybe finish up with one or two things that people can implement today that you would suggest would be the most beneficial for them? I would say as far as additional sleep hacks, let's see, we covered a lot of them. I mean, the only thing I would throw in there that's kind of interesting because a lot of people find benefit from it, and I've used them before. I, I actually have them in my napping place where because I don't do my little post-lunch siesta in my bedroom. I do it down in my basement by my office, and I have one of those little, I call them acupressure mat. It's literally almost like a miniature bed of nails. It sounds funny, but you, you look it up too, and it causes like a release of feel-good endorphins. And for the first minute or two, you lie on it, your body kind of freaks out, and then it goes into this hyper-relaxed state. So some people will keep an acupressure mat by their bed and lay on it for like five minutes before they crawl into bed. Other people will nap on it. Most people don't like sleep the whole night on it just because it's poking if you're rolled over and wake you up. But acupressure would be interesting to look into if you want to experiment with, I suppose, you know, kind of like a, I don't know, you call it like an ancient biohacking technology. And then as far as things that people could try today, I would say lower the room temp to 64 degrees or lower. My metric is if there's slight cognitive resistance to taking off your clothing to get into bed at night, that's a pretty good sleep temp. Like that initial, ooh, it's kind of cold. You kind of want that. And then once you get in bed, you warm up. And then consider downloading an app like Sleepstream or Sleep Space or New Calm and experimenting with that paired with a pair of those soft sleeping headphones like sleep phones. Again, just make sure your phone's in airplane mode because you don't want a bunch of Wi-Fi and radio frequency next to your head while you're sleeping. And then the last thing is I would say just like simple light hack, get a pair of blue light blocking glasses and wear them as soon as the sun sets in whatever area of the world that you happen to be in. And that will really help with the light exposure to the eyes while you're sleeping. But I should name Mike that your entire body is covered with photoreceptors. Basically all of your skin is an eye. And so you can wear blue light blocking glasses, but if your entire house or gym or office or whatever is lit up at night, 
you're still going to suppress melatonin production. So even if you're wearing those blue light blocking glasses, still try and get your sleeping space in your house as dim as possible once it gets dark at night. Ben, thank you so much for all your wisdom for coming on the show. Where can our listeners learn more about you? Yeah, bengreenfieldlife.com is is my website. So that's a good place to start. Got articles, got a podcast, got some books like you mentioned. So yeah, it's a good spot. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I'll recommend your boundless book. Uh, Like I said, it's my new favorite health and wellness performance book. I've always loved the primal blueprint. I thought he just, Mark Sisson did a phenomenal job of getting us out of that thought of nutrition is everything or exercise is everything or sunlight is everything and showing how it all works together. And I think your boundless book takes it to the next level. So thank you for everything that you've done for our health community and everything you've done for me as a friend. Appreciate it. Oh yeah. Honor, man. It's good to connect. At some point we're just going to have to hook up in Spokane and I don't know, go, go have a superfood smoothie or something. <laughs> I'm in. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Great connecting with you. All right. Great before you, man. Talk to you later. Now that's a wrap on episode 119. And I hope you join me next month where I get to interview the Associate Director of Sports Performance at Boise State, Tyler Whitmer. We became friends through my old Gonzaga coach, Leon Rice, who is now the men's basketball coach at Boise. And so when he came to town to play Wazoo last week, I pitched him the idea of joining me on the show to learn how he helps mentor the young men in this program. And listening to this episode is going to restore your faith in college athletics. Now, I hope everyone has their New Year's commitment picked out for 2024. And I'd love to have you join me in making it the best year yet. And to all of you who are committed, we'll earn your X.